As a human being, you and I uh, are an interesting mixture of realities. I compare these to dogs. Inside every one of us, we've got some bad dogs, and they're ferocious, and they like to eat away at our integrity and holiness. Uh, The world, the flesh, and the devil, and oftentimes with our cooperation, ourselves want to feed these bad dogs. And these bad dogs don't think there's anything wrong with themselves at all. Oh, they're intensely self-righteous and uh, find no need to seek Jesus and to uh, seek help in a time of need. But then there are good dogs inside of us as well. Uh, There by our birth, by the image of God, and then crushed by sin but restored when Christ comes into our lives. And these good dogs are hungry. And they're really hungry. And they're constantly hungry, and they're easily starved many ways. The task of life is to receive Christ as Savior so they are restored and to constantly feed and feast on the Word of God in prayer that they might be fed and defeat bad dogs that live within us. Well, we've tried to do that for a couple of months here at Beach Haven. I sensed a few months ago, actually more than that, the need to intensify and expand our prayer ministry. It seemed every time we came upon an evangelistic event, we get slaughtered in spiritual warfare. Now, God blessed us marvelously in the event, but there were burgeoning temptations and disruptions of all kinds that came, not really visible to your eyes, I don't believe, but to mine indeed, and large messes that we had to deal with in people's lives as we came upon those. Well, I've got good news, and that is we've met on Tuesday morning since our prayer commitment time, and we have begun to pray, and God has blessed us, and I can assure you there have been some marvelous victories in people's lives. Victories, for example, that I have been praying for for at least two years. But at the same time, there's been a counter-assault from the kingdom of darkness. And there's been increased temptation, increased burden. And so this spiritual warfare is never a static reality. It's dynamic, burgeoning, and growing. And on one hand, it scares the daylights out of me. On the other hand, I'm grateful because that means we're doing something. It means we're not sitting still. It means we're worthy of satanic attention. And so that's why Daniel 9, I think, is going to be so helpful and so important in our walk with God. I'm going to pray through and think through how it is we're to deal with this. And if you are not accustomed to this kind of language, uh, let me encourage you to get accustomed to it. Spiritual warfare is more relevant to you than just about any other reality. And if you're not aware of it, then you've probably become a victim of it. That's That's exactly how the enemy would like to perform in your life. He likes to go undetected and subtle. He never steps out and says, boo, here I am. Subtlety is a mark of the enemy's work. And a lack of awareness about these things is the first step in victory that the enemy has. And so we're very comfortable talking about these kinds of issues in these terms at Beach Haven because Jesus was. And we'll find actually a little bit later in the book of Daniel in coming weeks how... um, these issues come to play. But in Daniel chapter 9, what we have here is that we have Daniel's prayer. And 
There are two remarkable features and facts about Daniel's praying. One is that he prayed at all. Now, Daniel was a master and Daniel was an expert in many ways at understanding visions from God and receiving revelation. I mean, he's a biblical prophet. And he's got this revelation thing and this prophetic thing and this vision and dream thing down. In fact, his understanding of prophecy will set terms for the book of Revelation. Revelation is built upon the book of Daniel. In fact, all of New Testament prophecy is built upon Daniel and his prophetic insight. And so Daniel has this down, but despite his skill in understanding revelation uh, and revelations and visions and prophecies, Daniel still found it necessary to seek God in prayer. That did not cool his zeal for his own walk with God. So that's the first remarkable thing. The second remarkable thing is his prayer was answered immediately, beginning in verse number 20, and it continued to be answered. And we'll explain that a little bit more. Now, this is Daniel's fifth prayer in the book of Daniel. He prays in chapter 2, verse 16 and following, chapter 6, verse 10, chapter 7, verse 15, chapter 8, verse 55. And here in Daniel chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, in the first year of Darius's reign. In fact, it may very well be that it was this prayer that got Daniel into so much trouble and landed him in the lion's den. May very well be. Because both happened in the first year of Darius's reign. Rain. And I want you to look with me in verse number 20 as a summary of what we find in the whole chapter, which we will expound in a moment. Now, while I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and preventing, uh, presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, Jerusalem in other words, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I'd seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reach me about the time of the evening offering. You can pray effectively when you follow Daniel's prayer model. Well, what is that model? Well, there's several elements to it. One is this. You can pray effectively when you pray steadfast prayers. Look at chapter 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king of the realm of the Chaldeans. Now stop there. That's an incomplete sentence, but Daniel's going to go on to say that he prayed. This is the first year of Darius, about 538 B.C. Daniel, in that first year, will continue to pray. Daniel is in his 80s, and he's already prayed and demonstrated a life of prayer in chapter 2, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8. But still in his 80s, after the lion's den after threats to his friends in the fiery furnace, after the threat of being executed because others could not interpret the king's vision, Daniel is still praying. Daniel is in his 80s and Daniel still burns for God. He is not cooled. He has not diminished his enthusiasm for Almighty God. Age and circumstance should never diminish one's zeal for Almighty God. It didn't with Daniel. Reminds me of Jess Henley, the Georgia evangelist, pastored Colonial Hills Baptist Church for many years, went into full-time vocational evangelism. And when he was 83, he was still preaching across the country. And God was using him mightily. But one day, the ladies from his office could not reach him. They could not contact him. And uh, he was not uh, accessible by phone in, in those days. 
And so they called a friend of mine by the name of Danny Waters, who after Dr. Henley's um, wife passed away, Danny looked in after him and uh, made sure that everything was okay with him. And Dan, Danny was out of town, and the ladies called him and said, Danny, Dr. Henley's not answering his phone, and we fear the worst. And so Danny went on by Dr. Henley's condominium over on the west side of the metro area of Atlanta. And he arrived and saw Dr. Henley's car, and it just felt like it hadn't moved in a while. And his heart sunk. And he went to the door and knocked, and no one answered. He turned to walk away to find a phone to call 911 when all of a sudden the door unlocked. And Dr. Henley stood there with several days' growth, beard on his face, and he said, Danny, what do you want? He said, Dr. Henley, the ladies in the office have been trying to contact you, and they haven't been able to. He said, well, tell the ladies that I've been praying, and when I'm done spending time with God, I will call them back. He said, well, Dr. Henley, it's Thursday. How much time have you been spending with God? He said, well, I've been praying since Sunday. At 83, Dr. Henley was still pursuing God with everything he had. Now, you could measure my devotional life and my prayer time with a watch. With Dr. Henley, it took a calendar. But Dr. Henley believed like Daniel that age and circumstance should not hinder or cool one's enthusiasm and burning for God. Instead, it should accelerate it all the way. And ladies and gentlemen, that's how every life should be. I can understand the young struggling with prayer. Those who've just come to know the Lord. Those who are new in the faith. I can understand that. But ladies and gentlemen, every day with Jesus should be sweeter than the day before. And if we've been walking with God for years and for decades, the world should be able to rely upon us to seek God with burning enthusiasm all the way to the end. And that's Daniel. He's steadfast. But that's not all. You can pray effectively like Daniel, not only when you pray steadfast prayers, but also when you pray scriptural prayers. Now look at chapter 9, verse 2. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Well, Daniel was reading the Bible, and it prompted him to pray about some things. He's reading Jeremiah 25, 10, and 11. He's uh, apparently reading all the way to Jeremiah uh, 29, verses 11 and 12, where God says, I will keep Israel in Babylon for 70 years. Well, Daniel has been there quite some time, and he sees the time of that 70 years arriving, for that time to expire, and for God to move Israel out of Babylon back to the promised land and back to Jerusalem. And so he prays. Now, the rest of the prayer in Daniel chapter 9 evidences that Daniel was a man of the Word of God. He, he uh, is very familiar with Deuteronomy, and that's evident from verses 10 through 13. He's very familiar with the Psalms. That's evident from verse 16. He is very familiar with the prophet Ezekiel, who was his contemporary, verses 17 through 19. And here, in his prayer... In chapter 9, he simply asked God to do what he's already said he would do in his word. He had Bible-shaped prayers. If a mosquito had bitten Daniel when he was praying, he'd fly away quoting Bible verses. And this is what's taking place in Daniel's prayer life. Listen, you have God's attention when you shape your prayers around his word. It is, it is nearly impossible to be effective at prayer if we do not know the Word. 
The Word of God shapes, establishes, and describes the boundaries and the direction of our prayer life. God's Word is Velcro, and it's intended for our prayers to get stuck there. And Jesus reflects this in John 15, 7. He says, Abide in me, and let my words abide in you, and ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. When I teach people to walk with God, especially new converts, I encourage them to go and begin with the first chapter of Matthew and to pray through that. Read through it a couple of times and then shape their prayers around that. You've got genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, which most people bypass. But there are some older people there that uh, God uses in the family tree of Jesus. You've got some ordinary people there. Most of the folks in there we're not familiar with. And then you've got some outcast people that are there as well. Well, certainly you can shape your prayer around those subjects. And then Joseph obeys God by taking Mary as his wife when he thought she has been unfaithful. But God's doing a new thing, an unusual thing, through the virgin conception and birth of Jesus Christ. And Joseph obeys God, even to his own risk. And so that's something to pray about as well. And so I encourage them to pray that God will use them no matter where they are and that they will simply obey God. And all of that comes from merely one chapter of the Bible. And when we pray that way, we have the attention of heaven. God hears the one who is scriptural in prayer. But there's a third thing about Daniel's prayer that can make us effective. Not only steadfast prayers and scriptural prayers, but also suffering prayers. Oh, this is heartbreaking in verse number 3. We'll read that in a moment, but I heard about this pastor sitting in his office one day. And as he was sitting there, the secretary came in and said, Pastor, a little girl has been hit by a car in front of our church. Well, he was studying, and he said, let me finish my thought, and I'll get up and I'll go out. A few moments later, another secretary came in and said, Pastor, it's not just any girl, it's your daughter. And he stood up quickly, forgot his thought, and rushed out to the accident scene. You see, it made a difference when he was personally involved. And this is what Daniel does in the text. He is personally involved in the misery and the sorrows of Israel. He has suffering prayer. He reflects this in verse 3. He said, Then I set my face towards the Lord God. In other words, he cemented his gaze upon God so that he could not be distracted. No distractions, no competition in prayer. We've got to pray in such a way where we have that same posture in prayer. And then he made his request by prayer and supplications with fasting sackcloth and ashes. Now, sackcloth uh, was never commanded in the Scripture, but it represented humility. And then covering yourself with ashes means you've been burned to the ground. Your hopes and dreams and all have been burned to ashes. But then Daniel fasts here as well. There's some Old Testament fasts that are commanded, but not this kind of fasting. Just out of the anguish of his soul, Daniel loses his appetite, and he fasts before God. Take your anguish and suffering and sorrow and those of others and give it to God and develop the godly practice of prayer to where you continue praying about anguish and sorrow until God gives you relief in your heart. If you will open yourself and entrust that to Him, God will eventually give you, will end up giving you relief of heart. But you do not leave prayer until the relief comes. You pray this through until there is relief. And this is what Daniel is doing here in the text. Now listen, if you don't take anguish, suffering, and sorrow 
anxiety and worry before God and give it to Him and keep returning to Him until relief comes to your heart, I'll tell you this, you'll go someplace else for relief. Your heart will not live without seeking relief from anxiety, sorrow, anguish, and worry. It will not live with that. Your heart and soul will not tolerate it. You will seek relief either in God or something else. And ladies and gentlemen, I've just explained just about all the alcohol problems in the world. That explains a lot of the drug addiction. That explains a lot of sex addiction and addiction to romantic relationships and eating and all sorts of things. Listen, Satan has plenty of alternatives waiting for you to turn to instead of turning to God. And I can assure you they are all inferior to Him. Nobody handles a crisis and sorrow like Almighty God. He can handle it. He can see you through. And He would really like to do so. So God hears the one who suffers in prayer. Well, there's a fourth thing to Daniel's prayer that you and I can implement to be effective in prayer, and that is strong prayers. Now, all the way through the text, Daniel demonstrates that he offered strong prayers to God. Now, these prayers were strong because of the covenant in verse 4. Look what it says here in verse number 4. God's promised covenant. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps His covenant and mercy with those who love Him. And with those who keep His commandments, and he goes on to say uh, additional things about prayer. Daniel says here, God, you're great and merciful to those who keep your covenant. Now, I don't know about you, but many people would read that, and they would develop nothing but hopelessness. God blesses those who obey Him. Well, what kind of obedience do we really give to God? I mean, is there anyone here who has obeyed God in all things? Not only in your behavior. Now, if you're self-righteous, you might say yes to that. But the rest of us are going to have to admit we really struggle. And not just with our behavior, but we struggle with our soul. It's possible to sin with your soul and never with your body. And then we struggle by not doing the things we're supposed to do. Oftentimes we're timid. We're fearful. We forget. And so if God only hears those who obey Him, who in the world can pray a strong prayer? Ladies and gentlemen, there's a remarkable thing that happened when Jesus Christ came. This is the Old Testament covenant. When Jesus came, He gave a New Testament covenant. And that is this. God still blesses those who obey Him. But listen, what happened when Jesus came is that it made it possible for anyone who trusts in Him to come into Him and to be hidden in Him. And so when we appear before God, we appear clothed in Jesus Christ in a very spiritual way and also in a figurative way. And so the Father looks upon us as if, if we have received Christ, if we're following Him, He looks upon us as if we have been as obedient and faithful as Jesus. So He doesn't bless us and hear us on the basis of our performance. He hears us on the basis of Jesus' performance. Oh, my soul. Can you imagine? Hey, you can sit out there quiet if you want to. A few of us are going to run around the building in a minute. What a marvelous, marvelous act of God's grace. He is willing to hear us on the same basis as Jesus. He's willing to hear us with the intensity 
he hears Jesus. He's willing to hear us with the same affection with which he hears Jesus. He's willing to give us the same attention he gives to Jesus Christ if we are in him. Now, the one that's not in them, they're excluded, rejected, repudiated outside the presence of God because they've not given themselves to Christ. They've not trusted Him and been transformed by His power. But all of those who had are graciously welcomed in Christ and elevated to the status of Jesus. Now, we don't belong there. We, 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 we don't deserve that. But that is what God does in His grace. His prayer was strong because of that. It was strong also in verse 4 because of His mercy. That is God's tendency to come to those who need His help. And He comes and comes faithfully. And then his name, verses 16 to 19, God uh, defends the honor and reputation of his name. And nine times in this chapter that is mentioned that God would act in favor of his name. That made Daniel's prayer strong as well. And then Daniel's praying in verse 21 at the time of the evening sacrifice. And so there's been a sacrifice to cover his sins before he comes to God. And the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is what, not covers ours, but removes and takes them away because of the blood that Jesus Christ shed upon the cross. That's where our hope is. And therefore, prayer can be strong. Listen, if you desire to offer strong prayers to God, you're going to have to repudiate some common notions and myths. And that is, we're good enough to approach God. That's the silliest thing anyone's ever said. That we are accepted by God no matter who we are. That's not true and it never, never has been true. We can be, but only if we come to Jesus Christ. Without repentance and faith in Christ, we're not accepted. We're rejected completely until we repent and place faith in Christ. That, that God's primary objective in life is to make us happy. Oh, no. That, that we can come to God without any consideration of the blood of Christ. So if we want to pray strong prayers, we need to repudiate some popular notions, but then we need to embrace some counterintuitive, countercultural notions. And that is that we're hostile to God and only Jesus makes peace between us and God. That God is Christ-centered and He is aiming to satisfy Jesus more than all. And only the blood of Jesus Christ makes us acceptable to God. Now this is marvelous and this is good news because you don't have to go before God with your own weak, frail, deteriorating merit. You can go with the merits of Jesus Christ. In fact, the Puritan pastor Richard Sibb said this. He said, there is more mercy in Christ than sin in you. And it may be today that you're so embarrassed by what you've done and your heart is aching and breaking with, with regret and shame and despair over your sins and how you've embarrassed yourself and embarrassed your family and destabilized your life. But I want to assure you today that despite your sinful choices, your sinful choices pale in comparison to the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ. If you'll come to Jesus Christ, the Father will pay more attention to the blood of Jesus than He will your failures. That's the kind of God that looks upon you today and invites you to come to Him. So we can have strong prayers before God if we'll come to Him on His terms. But then you can pray strong prayers also if they are sorrowful prayers. And this occupies the largest portion of the prayer from verses 5 to 15. Now, Daniel was sorrowful in prayer, and we know that because he is confessing sin. Oh, and it is a miserable thing to read. It's heartbreaking to read verses 5 through 15. Let's take a brief look at it. He uh, is sorrowful because 
Israel is sinful, has sinfulness in everything. Verse number 5. Look at the words he piles, one on top of the other, beginning in verse 5. He says, we have sinned, well, that's not enough, and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and even rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and judgment. They have been sinful in every way and in every direction, and Daniel doesn't hide it. He's entirely transparent. And then they've not only been have sinfulness in everything, they have recklessness with the Scripture. Verse 5 They've departed from his precepts and judgments, which would be found in Exodus and Deuteronomy. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Elijah, Elisha, who spoke in your name to our kings and princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. And so they have been very reckless with the Scripture. They, they had this big gap between their lives and what God said in His Word. And I think their descendants are with us. So recklessness with Scripture. Then shamefulness with temptation. Verses 7 and 8. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but shame of face as it is this day. To the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem and Israel, those near, those far off, and all the countries to which you have driven them. They have shamefulness with temptation. Then carelessness with God's threats. God sent prophets to threaten them with judgment. They were careless with those in verses 9 through 12. And then when they got into a miserable state, were invaded and deported to Babylon, they were stubborn in heart, stubbornness of heart. Verses 13 through 15. This is mind-blowing. Look what it says. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God. I mean, we have, we have received a beat down and we keep doing what we have always been doing. And let me say, if you're not willing to turn to Jesus, you may try to overcome your sinfulness and your sinful choices. But if you don't turn to Christ, it's going to get worse. Not only won't you, but you can't. Only the intervention of God in His grace will ever turn you around. But there's good news. God is willing to do it. And so Daniel's prayer is sorrowful. Now, look at verse 20 here. Daniel isn't merely castigating Israel. And you notice here, he's not castigating Darius or Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar. He's not castigating the Medes and Persians. He's not castigating Babylon at all. Oh, no, look at verse 20. Now, while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, then I got an answer. He's confessing his own sin. Now, is that not a remarkable thing from Daniel? Daniel is godly. He is so high and exalted, Ezekiel will exalt him in his prophecy in the book of Ezekiel. Daniel is highly regarded so that there is frequent and um, uh, often interaction between him and heaven is, is what you find with Daniel. And yet when Daniel prays, he's confessing sin. Now, do you hear what we're saying here? Listen, ladies and gentlemen, we could take and find the nastiest, most scandalous person in this community and ask that person to come one Sunday morning and lead us in prayer. And the kind of praying that person would do is when he or she was done, you would think that person was a saint. I mean, the most virtuous person in the community. Yet we could take the most saintly, godly, pure individual in this entire community, and have that person come to this microphone and pray, and you would think that that saintly person was the most scandalous 
and the most vile and the meanest person in the world. When rascals pray, they will sound like saints, but when saints pray, they will sound like rascals. And do you know why that is? Because the closer you get to God, the more humble you become and the more upset in spirit you become by your own sins. But the further you drift from God, the more self-righteous you become. And you will begin to think that you're a good person. And you'll begin to be censorious and critical, sometimes of God and certainly of other people. I become so worried over ordinary people and political candidates who condemn others. And when I hear that, I think in a month something's going to come out about them. And is that not true every time? The self-righteous exalt themselves and they condemn others. And something will always come out. Daniel's not that way. He is very close to God and because of that he's very aware of his sinfulness. And so we can come before God and be cleansed and renewed in Him if we follow the example of Daniel with sorrowful prayers. But there's a final thing here that will help our prayers be effective. And that is, you can be effective in prayer if you'll pray supernatural prayers. Now here in the text, Daniel asks for the intervention of God. And what Daniel is asking for is so large, only God can perform it. I hope you'll get in the habit of asking God to do similar things. But Daniel asked for large things. In verse 16, he asked for an end of the 70-year exile. And then in verse number 17... He asked God to rebuild Jerusalem, the temple, the walls. Now, God answered Daniel's prayer eventually. Within a year, he answered the first request. Cyrus ascended the throne and released the Jews, 50,000 of them, to return to Jerusalem. So he answered the first request in about a year. Have you ever waited for a year for God to answer a prayer? I tell you, I've been waiting since 1982 for some. But Daniel waited. But the second request was not answered until eight or nine decades later. And this prayer, that God would rebuild the temple and Jerusalem and the walls, was answered in Zerubbabel, in Ezra, and in Nehemiah books, frankly, Ezra and Nehemiah at least, of the Old Testament. So Daniel, with this one prayer, ended up, shaping the future city of Jerusalem and the life of Israel and the very life of Israel and the city of Jerusalem where Jesus would preach and teach and die. Daniel, with one prayer, shaped nearly a century of life in Israel. He is praying large prayers. Daniel Daniel prayed large prayers and Daniel received large prayers. Answers. It reminds me of what Robert Cook said one time. He said, ask God to keep your life and ministry on the miracle basis. If you can explain what's going on in your ministry, God didn't do it. That's the kind of life we want. We want the intervention of God because we have dared to ask God for big things. It's okay to ask for the small things. Don't misunderstand me. But please don't neglect asking God for the big things. It doesn't take a nation to turn around a nation. One person can pray and God will respond. Establish the practice of praying prayers as large as Almighty 
God. And that's when things begin to move. This is how Daniel prayed effective prayers. God's willing to take the sorrow. God's willing to take the suffering. God's willing to take the sin. That reminds me of Judy Peterson. She decided to hike from Washington State all the way to Florida. She was hiking for a particular cause of hers. And she carried about a 40-pound backpack with her as she hiked. And on the first day, her feet were sore. They were covered with blisters. And the pack was too heavy to carry. And at about her worst moment, someone drove up and said, I'll take your backpack for you. And she did. And that little bit of relief encouraged her and gave her strength to make it through. You see, this woman didn't create the burden that Judy was facing, but she did relieve it. God didn't create the mess that you're in. God didn't create your sinful choices. God didn't do any of that. But because He is gracious, loving, and kind, He's approaching you now, and He's saying, I didn't create the mess. I didn't create the sin that you're in, but I'll carry it for you. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, He bore in His body our sins. Peter says, on the tree. I've got good news for you. Sin has already been paid for. Jesus Christ has taken care of it. The Father believes that the cross is enough. It was enough. There it was paid for. Yes, even what you're thinking about now, even what, what puts you to bed at night, even what wakes you in the morning, Jesus paid for it there sufficiently, and the Father indicated that by raising Jesus from the dead. Anything that you've struggled with, anything that embarrasses you now, anything that afflicts your heart, there is hope in Jesus Christ. He has carried it, and He invites you today to do something about it. And that is, stop carrying it on your own. Not by righteous works which we have done, but by His mercy He saved us. Paul would say to Titus, And then we come to Him by faith. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. God promises if you will simply trust Christ alone, enough to give Him yourself and your sins, He will cancel them because it's all prepared. God doesn't need to do anything else to make you new. God doesn't need to do anything else to make you accepted in Him. Nothing at all. It has all been done by the blood of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me quickly? I want us to pray about that. And then we want to give you the chance to respond today. Father, we thank you for the good news of Christ. We thank you that Jesus has done it. And we thank you that you've brought this home to us today. And I want to pray for friends that they would fling open the door of their hearts and lives and embrace Christ in his fullness. I pray that all the conviction and repentance and faith and confession that's necessary will be prompted by your Holy Spirit. And I pray they'd have the courage to seek help today. Father, I pray for others that need to follow you in baptism. Some gave their lives to Christ last week, and they need to follow you today. They didn't profess it last week, but today's their day. Others need to become part of Beach Haven. We pray they would as well. Other sorrows, other needs, we pray that you would take care of those today as well. And we thank you that you're large enough, gracious enough, and loving enough to take care of every one of them. And we thank you for that. As you keep praying and talking to God, let me explain what we're going to do. This is the most important part of our service. We're going to sing a song.
And as we sing, I'm going to ask you to step out from where you are. You can tell your neighbor, please excuse me. We're accustomed to that here. Don't be embarrassed by that. You're sitting in the middle, not at the aisle. You just come on out. And we've got staff members here who will help you with your spiritual need. It's time to stop doing it on your own. It hadn't worked. you got to lean on someone else. And we're here. And I want to tell you, through the decades we've been here, thousands have come. Would you come just as soon as we begin to sing? Now, here's what I'm going to do. We've invited you. I'm going to finish my prayer. And then Tim will immediately lead us to sing. You step out immediately and you come. See a staff member and we will help you with your spiritual need. Father, I pray you will gather for Jesus Christ all the glory, all the submission, all the faith you intended to gather today. We pray no one would leave here without being fully trusting and submitting.